Um, so the uh, greeting time today, um, how many of you are just miserable when we do stuff like that? Just quick show of hands. There's a couple like the real introverts. I mean, I care. Yeah, I care. I care. <laughs> a little I care. Um, how many of you would say that as you were talking to these people today, you genuinely liked the people that you talked to today? It's a lot. See, that was not so bad, right? How many of you would say, actually, those people really kind of bugged me? <laughs> Just, I mean, there's a couple. And, and I think that's, listen, that's the risk of going to church, right? There's, there's people there. And let's face it, people are the worst, aren't they? I mean, even the Bible tells us that Christians even are just really nothing more than messed up people that are under construction. Um, look what Paul writes. This is a really interesting verse. He's writing this to the Philippians, mostly to Christians. He's writing it to a church of people that are Christian people. And he says, I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished when, when Christ Jesus returns. So until then, God is working on his people, right? He's, we call it, he's sanctifying he's his people. He's, he's perfecting us, and he's making us more like Jesus, and he's getting us ready for his kingdom, and his kingdom is going to be awesome when Jesus returns because then everybody in it will be perfect like Jesus. But meanwhile, um, since God's work in us isn't finished yet, people, even Christians, are going to bug us and disappoint us and hurt us and offend us. So today, I want to talk to the offended. And I should have a pretty big audience. Um, let's, <laughs> let's just find out. Um, if you've ever been, I got a list, if you've ever been hurt or disappointed or betrayed or ignored or judged or mistreated or put down or left out or lied to or lied about by somebody who claims to be a Christian, please raise your hand. And it's horribly consistent. Uh, uh, so, I mean, that's not great news for us, right? Because Jesus might not come back for a thousand years to make us all perfect. So what are we supposed to do till then, right? How are, we, how are we supposed to handle it when other Christians hurt us and when other Christians mistreat us? And I think that's a, that's a real question. We, we don't know when he's coming back to, to finish the job, right? And until then, we're stuck with each other and we're all broken and we're all under construction and therefore, we're gonna continually be being hurt by other Christians and mistreated by other Christians and offended by other Christians and I mean, what are we supposed to do with that? And so Jesus is so amazing. I mean, he knew this would come up. And in Matthew 18, he actually gives us a process for how to handle it when other Christians offend us, a process for what to do when other Christians sin against us. So let's pray, and then we'll check out this process. Jesus, man, we're, we're so thankful for the promise that we have that someday you're coming back and you're gonna make everything right and you're gonna make all of us and all of our circumstances and all of our situations, you're gonna make everything new. And so we're looking so forward to that day when you finish this work in us and you complete us and you perfect us and we are good and holy and righteous. We all treat each other perfectly. 
But Jesus, I also know that between now and then, man, we're broken people who are under construction. And so I know the result of that is that there are a lot of people here who've been hurt and mistreated and, and lied to and lied about and demeaned by other Christians. And so, Lord, I just pray for their healing. I pray for your comfort and your presence in their life and the peace that you give them, knowing that someday you will make all things new. And now, will you just reveal some truth to us today as we're, we're kind of checking out this process that you've given us about how to handle it when other Christians do us wrong. Just make it clear and open us up and show us what you want us to see today. In your name, amen. So here it is. This is Matthew 18. Uh, we're going to start at verse 15, and we're just going to go through this passage today. Uh, Matthew 18, 15 says, If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. Okay, just stop. Isn't it interesting that it's on you to do that? It's on the offendee to initiate it, not to wait for them to come to their senses, not to wait for them to feel guilty or come around or come to you. It says that you're, we're to go privately and point out the offense to them. So if another Christian sins against me, I'm not supposed to just pout. I'm not supposed to tell all my friends how awful they were. I'm supposed to go to them and say, you know what, that's wrong and it hurts, please stop. Jesus says if the other person listens and confesses it, you've won them back. So that's awesome, right? End of story. You, somebody hurts you, they're doing some sinful action against you, you go to them and you say, dude, that you're hurting me, please stop that. And they say, okay, good, I'll never do it again. And that's, that's the end of it. And it is amazing when it goes like that. How cool would that be if we would just take that first step and put the fire out early in a lot of these circumstances? But the bad news is those people still have free will. Right? And those are still broken people. So they may choose not to listen. They may choose not to repent. They may choose not to change. And so Jesus has got like the backup plan. Verse 16, if you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say can be confirmed by two or three witnesses. So what does that look? We go one-on-one, -on -one, right? We, please stop doing this, you're hurting me. And then if that fails, we try again with a couple of other Christians, and we, we go to, look, man, we, we love you. We want this to work out. Please, you know, cut it out. Verse 17, if the person still refuses to listen, then take your case to the church. And this is where you say, hey, pastor, hey, elder of the church, can we get together with so-and-so? I mean, they're really hurting me with this sin, and I've prayed for them, and I've talked to them, and a couple of us went and talked to them, but they just, they won't stop. They refuse to listen. And so now this elder, this pastor, asks him to change. Then, Jesus says, if he or she won't accept the church's decision, it's like, that's it. Now we treat that person as a pagan or as a corrupt tax collector. And so, just kind of clarify that part. It says to treat them like a pagan or a crooked tax collector. Um, what, is, what does that mean? Kill them? <laughs> Hate them? Trash them? They burn their house down. How, how should Jesus' followers treat sinners and tax collectors? Yeah, man, we, we love them. And we pray for them, but we probably keep our safe distance from them. Right? And so, yeah, there you go. That's, that's the process that Jesus gives us when another, believe, another believer sins against us. That's, that's what we're supposed to do. 
And that's, you know, that's how we're supposed to do it. And then, honestly, I don't think the what is that confusing, right? Jesus is a pretty good communicator. I think he makes it pretty clear here. I don't think the how is hard to understand. I think we may need some understanding with the why of this process. And it's not that Jesus needs to give us a reason, right? I mean, we're his followers, and he saved us, and, you know, he's God. So um, we should follow his instructions just out of gratitude, right, and just out of obedience. But I think it's helpful for us to just try to understand some of what's behind the process. It's like, why does Jesus tell us to follow this process instead of doing what we, like, naturally feel like doing when someone offends us? When somebody offends you, when somebody hurts you, when somebody sins against you, you know, you automatically think of some stuff that you could do to react to that. Like, you think, I'll just give them a holy punch in the neck. You know, I'm just going to kick them in the spleen. You know, I'm going to ghost them. Or I'm going to post something awful about them on social media. Or I'm going to poison their cat. And (laughs) praise Jesus, somebody said. (laughs) So, (laughs) I mean, those are ways to go. Um, He doesn't explicitly tell us why his way is better. And so, I don't know, it's been bugging me this week. So I've been just really thinking about it and praying about it. And I want to today offer you like three ideas to consider about this process and, and, and why this process and maybe help us understand why this process is better. So let's, let's, let's just look at this and see what we can learn as we, and kind of like let's process the process, okay? Um, first idea. We're trying to understand why we're doing it this way. Why is Jesus having us go through this process? First idea, maybe it's not about you. Because my first, I mean, when I look at this process, it seems like, dude, I'm the one that got hurt, right? Why is it on me to initiate the process? Why is it on me to do all the work? I mean, I'm the one that got lied to. I'm the one that got lied about. I'm the one that got betrayed. I'm the one that got offended. They lied about me, right? They ignored me. They, they, they mistreated me. And this is why I like the spleen kick, right? Because it, it, it hurts them, which is always good, and then it also feels good to me. And this is why I like the media trashing of people because it hurts them, which is awesome, and it also feels good to me. And listen, with the social media thing, if you play your cards right, you can even make yourself look really good when somebody hurts you. Like you post a picture of them and you write something like, you know, this person is the devil, and they really hurt me, and they offended me, and they treated me like dirt, and they mistreated me, and they're a poo-poo caca, but I'm praying for them. I'm praying for them. Hashtag love your enemies. See what I did? So, yeah, I make them look bad. More importantly, I make me look good. And so that's cool, but I think this process, Jesus' process, maybe isn't so much about me. Maybe it's about the kingdom. Because when somebody lies to you or lies about you or mistreats you or deceives you or hurts you, that's, that's sin, right? That's what he said. He said, when another Christian sins against you. So maybe this process isn't about me being like vindicated or validated or pacified. Maybe it's not about dealing with my hurt. Maybe this process is about dealing with sin. And I don't want to like minimize or belittle 
the pain of the offended person. Jesus cares about your hurt, and he can heal your hurt, and he wants to get you through what you're hurting about, but maybe that's not the purpose of this process. Um, the book of Matthew is the gospel, right? It's, it, that's what it is. We call it the gospel of Matthew. It's the good news that God's kingdom has come and that Jesus is king and that we're invited. And all through Matthew, Jesus is teaching his people. That's what we're reading. He's teaching his people. He's, he's preparing us for the kingdom. And that's, that's all Christians. So all Christians, even them, right? Even the ones that hurt us, they're saved when they accepted Jesus, right? And so starting right then, God sees them as righteous and holy and good and pure because he sees the Jesus inside them, inside them. And then he goes to work, right? Changing them on the outside. That's, that's what sanctification means. That was that verse in Philippians, right? God started this work, Philippians 1.6. He started the work in them and now he's finishing the work in him and now he's not gonna finish the work in them until Jesus comes back. So that means until Jesus comes back, he's gonna be working on them. And he's going to be dealing with their sinful attitudes and their sinful actions. So maybe this sin against you needed to come out and needed to be dealt with so that God could continue his work in them, refining them and making them more like Jesus and getting them ready for the kingdom. And maybe he's doing some of that work in this process through you. So Proverbs 27, 17 is a famous verse. It says, like, iron sharpens iron, and just like that, God uses us to make each other better, to sharpen each other, to sanctify. And so, again, not to belittle your pain. Jesus cares about your pain, and he wants to heal that pain. He wants to help you through that pain. But maybe this process isn't about you. Maybe it's about God using you to continue his work in this offensive Christian that hurts you so that his kingdom can be pleasant and painless and perfect because everybody in it has been perfected. And that is a hard view to take, right? That is really hard to get this like 30,000 foot view of what's going on when, when you're hurting. It's really hard to set aside your personal pain and it's really hard to go through this process, but it might help a little to consider that maybe it's not about you. You guys doing okay? Um, you want one that's even harder than that? <laughs> no, yes, we're going to. Maybe it is about you. Maybe it is about you. If another Christian has sinned against you, maybe God's using this process to work on you and to teach you. And maybe God wants to use this process to change you and sanctify you. <laughs> I told you it was gonna be hard. <laughs> Everybody close your mouth now, we're gonna keep going. I'm not, I'm not saying that God caused them to sin against you, but we know Christians are broken people, they're under construction, they have free will, free will's a booger, they're gonna hurt us. And God doesn't waste the pain, right? Romans eight twenty eight says he uses all things, right? he causes all things to work together for our good, even bad things even somebody sinning against us. And maybe God wants to use this process to change you. Like, I mean, that, that second step, 
when somebody offends you and you, you talk to them and it didn't work, so you go get a couple of friends to go to them and, and talk to them. You know, the one good thing about that is then we're clear on who said what later. But there's another neat element to this, and that is that might reveal if you were out of line. Right? If you said to your friends, hey, let's go talk to this, this guy, he's messing up. And they say, well, wait a minute, he's not messing up, you're the one that's messing up. So you tell your friend, hey, look, ever since I started having this affair with Bob's wife, he has been so rude to me, you know? And I mean, I talk to him, he won't do anything about it. And I gotta tell you, he's taken the fun out of this thing. And so I, ta- I went and talked to him, he won't change. So let's get a couple of good Christians and let's go talk to him and tell him he needs to straighten up and he needs to start being more friendly to me. And so <laughs> your friend's like, well, let me get this straight. You're still having the affair. And you're like, oh yeah. It's just he's ruining the fun of it. And you say, okay, well, no, right? You're the one that's in the wrong here. So, I mean, that's an exaggerated example, right? <laughs> yeah, that's an exaggerated example. But that step is just one way that maybe God will use, maybe God will use that step in this process to show you something that he wants to change in you. Or maybe, maybe he'll use this process to teach you about patience or forgiveness or love or humility or grace. And it's, I mean, it's really hard to take this stance. It is, it is really hard to swallow this, but sometimes when someone offends you, maybe you're the object of the sanctification in this process. Oh, you know what? Maybe, maybe, he'll, maybe he'll use this process to show you that his patience and his forgiveness and his love and his mercy and his grace are already in you through his spirit. And this process will show you that. Or, or maybe he wants to use this process or even the pain that, that was caused by the offense to show you his healing power or the power of his presence to get you through the pain. Maybe, maybe the lesson you need to learn is how close Jesus is when pain and trouble come. Maybe the lesson you need to learn is how he can heal your pain and he can get you through the trouble and he can redeem even horrible situations. So, I mean, it's hard to understand and it's no fun to hear, but maybe this process, when someone hurts you, maybe this process that Jesus prescribes is not about you or, or maybe it is about you. And then a third idea, and this one doesn't have a maybe, This process is about us. This process is about us. Um, Why do you think he started with one-on-one? And then if that fails, we get two or three. And then if that fails, then we bring in the church. And then if that fails, then we do the distance thing. Um, why, Why would he do that? Why wouldn't he just cut to the last one? That always works. I think the reason is the less people that are involved, the greater chance there is for reconciliation. So we can't, we can't just ignore the sin, right? But this process is to give every possible opportunity 
for restoration and for redemption and for reconciliation. I think the less people that are involved, the better the chance of reconciliation. If one person offends you, sins against you, and you go to that person and you say, man, you're really hurting me, please stop this. It's just us, man. You can stop right now and this can be over. There's a pretty good chance, right? That actually might happen. Um, you go to them with two or three people. Like, I mean, now it's a little harder because now we've got pride involved and what do they think and whose side are they on? And it gets messy then. So there's just like a little bit less chance of reconciliation. And then once you rat them out to the pastor, right? Now we got even, right? I mean, you're trying to help, but realistically, once now we told them, man, that's just one more thing to be mad about, right? It's just one more way for this thing to blow up in our face. And then once we've done the distance thing, now we're treating them like sinners and tax collectors and we're keeping our distance from them. Realistically, the odds of reconciliation, there's still a chance, but it's just a, it's just a really slim chance. And I think maybe Jesus, that's why he doesn't start us there. He starts with one-on-one because that, that's the greatest opportunity for us to experience this miracle of reconciliation. So regardless of who sinned against who and regardless of who was right, in the kingdom of God, we're ultimately, we're all gonna be perfect, right? And we're all gonna be together. And I think Jesus is working on the perfect now and he's also working on the together now. He, he doesn't just want us to be reconciled to Christ. He wants us to be reconciled in Christ. He wants us to be reconciled to each other. Unity is a huge deal to Jesus. I think that's one of the reasons we keep seeing this recurring illustration of the body of Christ, right? That the, your, all the parts of your body have to sync up. Right? They, have to be, they have to be together. They, they have to be uh, reconciled to each other. And, this, and, and this, this, this idea that we want to reconcile doesn't mean we just blow off sin right? at all. He just gave us a process to deal with sin. Dealing with sin is a big thing. We have to confront sin because in the kingdom, righteousness matters. Right? Fixing it matters. And that's why he gives us this process. Look, he even reiterates this. This is Matthew 18, 18, a little, a little further down. He says, I tell you the truth. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. So do the process, man. We've got to work this stuff out. Right? If there's sin in somebody's life, we've got to work this out. If there's sin in your life, we've got to work this stuff out. Follow the process because whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. This is all about us aligning ourselves to God's kingdom. This is all about addressing sin, not accepting it. Jesus, Jesus hates sin. Sin separates us from God. Sin separates us from each other. So we don't just accept sin. But this process gives us a chance to accept each other. This is about us. This process is about us being together and being reconciled in Jesus. Look, look at the, verse 19. He says, if, so we, 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 here's the process, right? At the top, here's the process. Here's what you do when somebody sins against you. Maybe it's going to sanctify them. Maybe it's going to sanctify you. Here's the process, he says. And then he kind of says again, look, we've got to take care of the sin, man. We can't just look the other way. We've got to approach this thing. Whatever you forbid here is going to be forbidden there. We've got to approach this thing. But now he's coming back to how important this unity thing is. Look what he says, Matthew 18, 19. If two of you agree here on earth considering uh, concerning anything you ask, if two of you agree on anything, my Father in heaven will do it for you. What's he saying there? 
Is that, is that like a promise that we can get rich? Yeah, this, what he's saying is when we're in agreement, in agreement, when we come together, that's when miracles happen. When we come together, that's when miracles happen. And better than seeing miracles, when we reconcile, when we come together, that's when we really experience Jesus. Look at verse 20. He says, where two or three are gathered together as my followers, I am there among them. When we, when we come together, that's when we really experience Jesus like to the max, right? That's when we really experience him to the highest level is when we're together. We're just, we're better together. We're better together. And we, we see miracles when we're together and we experience Jesus best together. So people are, people are broken and Christian people are just broken people that are a work in progress. And so they're gonna sin against us and this process is just a way to deal with sin and failure and offense while at the same time creating every possible space for reconciliation to happen so that we can all be together and so that we can really experience Jesus. So Jesus starts his talk by talking about how to correct a person who sins against you and now he's gonna finish the talk by talking about forgiving the person that sinned against you. So let's look at verse 21. This is funny. So Peter, (laughs) Peter's funny. Uh, So Peter comes to him and he says, Lord, how often should I forgive somebody who sins against me? Seven times? And I I like Peter, man. Um, So the traditional rabbinic teaching at that time was that if somebody sins against you, you have to forgive them, not once, not twice, three times. And so I can, I can if you want to be holy, right? If you want to be holy, you got to forgive somebody three times. And so I can just picture Peter like trying to look all holy. And he's like, I know the tradition is I have to forgive him three times, but you know, I like to forgive him seven, right? Because that's the number of perfection. You know, that's the number of completion. That's the number of God. So, I, I mean, I like to go seven, Jesus. Like, what do you think? And Jesus, verse 22, is like, no, not seven times. Seventy times seven. That's how many times we're to forgive somebody. And I'm a, that is a lot of forgiveness right there. And that number is important because that is the number of completion. That is the number of perfection. That is the number of God. I think when Jesus said 70 times seven, what he's saying is that our forgiveness should be limitless. It should be complete. And it should be perfect. Um, This is important. Is Jesus saying then that we have to put up with and hang out with people that insist on continually hurting us? No, that's, that's the process. That's what the process was all about. Was you don't have to live like that. If somebody refuses to listen, you go through this whole process, you try to reconcile with them, and then if after that they just keep sinning against you and hurting you, we treat them like sinners. We treat them like tax collectors. We pray for them. We love them. We keep a safe distance from them. This process sets boundaries. Christians are not allowed to continually sin against you. Christians are not allowed to just keep hurting you. There are consequences for people that disregard those, those boundaries by sinning against you and by hurting against you. And those consequences include 
distance. So this doesn't mean we don't love them, and it doesn't mean we don't forgive them, but it does mean they don't get to ruin our lives because we can forgive them without staying in constant contact with them, right? Just because you forgive somebody doesn't mean they necessarily get to live at your house, right? Just because you forgive somebody doesn't mean that they get to be in your life. But Jesus does call us to forgive. And even that, even if you say, I'm gonna forgive them, but I'm gonna keep my distance from them, even that, it's hard, huh? It's hard to, to really forgive somebody that really sins against you, somebody that really hurts you, and he says to do it 490 times. So again, I get the what, you know, forgive, 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 but I, I'm a little stuck on the why, right? Like what's, other than just straight up blind obedience to Jesus, what reason do we have to forgive other people? Like what, what motivation would we have? And so I'm thinking that Peter's got that going through his head too because then Jesus tells this parable about a man that owned a king millions and millions of dollars. And so in order to pay the debt, they were gonna sell all of his stuff and then they were gonna sell him and his wife and his kids into slavery. So he goes to the king and he begs him. I mean, just please, just be patient with me and give me another chance. And so he did. In fact, the king just forgave the debt outright. So you might wanna try that with your mortgage company and see, I mean, I don't know. But then that same guy who had just been forgiven millions and millions of dollars goes out and finds a guy that owes him probably like a couple of thousand dollars. And he grabs the guy, it says, by the throat. And it's like, pay up. And that guy says the same thing he said. Be patient with me. You know, just, just give me another chance. But he won't have it. And he has him. It says, thrown into prison to be tortured. Like, what, do you, what do you think that parable means? You know, like, what's the higher understanding of that little story? I mean, to me, God knows about millions and millions of terrible, offensive, hurtful, sinful things that I've done and that I've said and that I've thought. And every one of those deeds and every one of those words and every one of those thoughts caused Jesus to be killed. And yet, he forgave me of all of them. And in light of that, how can I not forgive somebody who sinned against me a couple of times or a couple thousand times? Christians are messed up people that are under construction and they have free will and they are gonna fail, and they're gonna sin against us. And someday, Jesus is gonna end all that, right? And he's gonna perfect all of us. And then meanwhile, I think he's just given us this, this process to deal with the sin, and to create some boundaries, and to leave room for a miracle of reconciliation. And so, I love Jesus' teaching. At the end of the instruction, at the end of this talk, about this process, he, he like sums it all up, right? By reminding us that we have to deal with sin and that we're better together and that we'll see the sins of other people differently when we look at them through the lens of our own sin 
the sin that Jesus freely forgave. So Jesus didn't just teach us to forgive sin. He showed us how. Amen? All right, let's stop. Jesus, thank you for your example. Thank you for loving us in spite of our brokenness. Thank you for forgiving millions and millions and millions of times that we sinned against you. Times that we actually offended you. Times that we actually made it necessary for you to die. Thank you for forgiving our sins. And will you please just remind us of that when it's time for us to do some forgiving? Will you please remind us of this process? You know, we're not just overlooking sin. We're not just skipping through it and pretending it's not there. We're not just accepting sin. We're gonna follow this process. And maybe there'll be some sanctifying work through this process. Maybe it'll sanctify that person that hurt us. Maybe it'll sanctify us. Will you remind us at the end of the day that this is really all about us? Remind us of how much you love redemption and restoration and reconciliation. You you died to make all of that possible. So will you just give us your value for each other? Will you just give us your value for togetherness? Will you just give us your value for us? Show us how important it is that we are one in you. Show us how important it is that we have unity in the body of Christ. In your name, amen. Um, you know what, just really quickly, a um, couple of quick announcements before you go. Operation Christmas Child is in full swing. That means if you took a box last week, you should have brought it back today, or you must, must, must bring it back next Sunday. Any boxes that are brought back after Sunday, you are going to have to drive them over to Africa and deliver them yourselves. They must be here next Sunday. Second thing, a lot of people are asking me about the building stuff. There's a lot of talk about, I mean, it's a little crowded in here, right? I'll, I'll ask you to consider this. Look around you right now. Some of you who I had to make sit right next to somebody you didn't want to sit next to because it was crowded. Some of you that we asked to like squish in or can you go sit over there so this person can have a seat or something like that. It's okay. We got space. There's some empty chairs in here, right? But I'm going to ask you to consider something. Last year at this time, our attendance was about 130 people less per week than it is right now which is awesome, that's amazing, right? 130 more people every week are coming to church this year than they were at this time last year. That's, yeah, yeah, that's great news. That's great news. Now I want to ask yourself, where would you put those 130 people if 130 more come next year? And where would you put the 130 additional that come the following year? So we've, we're working hard to make it work, right? We snuck the smaller chairs in here and like, Nobody even noticed. I'm gonna probably start preaching on diet soon so we can all lose some weight, we can all fit better. Um, when you walk in, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but our greeters, like if they shake your hand and they kind of pat you on the shoulder, they've got Vaseline on their hand. And they're rubbing that on your shoulder so that when you come in here, we all can fit in just a little bit tighter and a little bit better. That's what we're doing a lot. We have a septic system that's supposed to be pumped every two years, we're pumping every three months. Okay, so. Resist the impulse to make funny jokes about that right now. We've got to keep moving, keep moving. So, yeah, so we're okay now. We're fine now, right? Um, in, in two years, it's, you know, it's going to be difficult. In three years, it's going to be, it's, we're going to have some challenges ahead of us. And so one way we might attack those challenges would be to build a new facility. And that would cost, listen, millions and millions of dollars. And so where people are asking me, like, where are we at with that? You know, where, I'll tell you where we're at with that. We're listening. 
right? We want to hear from God on this. Because if God says go, I don't care if it's $50 million, we go, right? If God says don't go, I don't care if it's free, we don't go. So I'm not so interested in like what I think or what I want or what would be good or fun or cool or amazing. What I'm really interested in is we want to hear from God. And we know that sometimes God speaks just through our circumstances, right? God may be literally speaking to us through our septic system right now, right? That he's, sometimes he speaks to us through his circumstances. A lot of times God speaks to us through his word and through his spirit and through his people. And so we are scouring scripture for answers, right? We want to hear from his word. And we're praying and listening in our spirit. Maybe he'll speak to us in our spirit, but we also want to hear from him through you, through his people. And so where are we? I'll tell you where we're at. We're doing a feasibility study. We've actually hired an outside company. We want to be good stewards. We want to do the right thing. We want to hear from God. And so we're not just rushing off, oh, let's go spend $100 million. Instead, we're going to do this study. And so we've already had this company come in and interview like a little, a little small sample group of you. Some of you have already been in those meetings where they just ask you questions. What do you think we should do? What do you hear God saying? And then the next thing we're going to do is we're going to do a church-wide survey here in about a month where we're going to ask you to pray and fast and listen and tell us what you think God is telling you that we should do. So before we take that step, we want you to have all the information that you need. So we're going to do kind of like a town hall meeting it's going to be coming up. You'll get more information on it. It's going to be coming up. I think it's December 14th. It's a Wednesday night, and we'll probably, you know, eat some pizza, and then we'll just tell you what's going on. This is where we're at, and this is what we're up against. This is a possible solution. Think about it. Pray about it. Then we'll send you the survey, and you can let us know what you think. So it's not, it's not wrong for you to start praying now. It's okay. I give you permission. If you want to start praying now about, like, just not, not specific, just we want to hear from God. Right? That's it. We want to hear from God. Whatever he says do is what we want to do. We just want to make sure that we're clearly hearing his voice. So will you guys just help me with that? Let's just start being in prayer. If you can, please try to make it that night for that meeting. We're going to just dump it all on the table so we're all talking about the same thing. And then when you get that survey, prayerfully answer that survey and let's follow God. This reminds me so much of these great stories in the Bible where we see God saying to Abraham, go to a place I will show you right? Go to a place I will show you. This is God saying, you know, you start walking, and then I'll tell you where to step. And so that's what's happening now. We're listening for him to tell us where to step. Will you pray with me? Okay, let's do that between now and then. God bless you guys. Have a great week.